0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron, and Byron, there's so much going on in the world right now, but let the listeners know why they should be listening to Politically Entertaining.
1: Ooh, man, it's. I think I said this last episode, too, man. There's so much going on, and I swear it's even more going on than when we recorded last time, so you don't want to just have your head in the sand and, and just not know anything. As I always say... Following news and politics isn't always the most exciting thing to do, but that's what we come in at. You know what I'm saying? We come in, we we break it down, we make it relatable, we try to keep it, you know, short to where you only need to listen to us once a week or have often we put the show out. You listen to us and we just try to inform you and cover stuff that is not covered that often in the mainstream media. So with that said, I want to start off, Frank, you know, it's, what are we, in June now? It'll be July and then August. So college football season is right around the corner if they're able to start on time. I haven't heard anything about a delay. But college football is coming up. And two prominent college football coaches have been in the news a lot lately. Uh, last week it was Dabo Sweeney who is a championship coach at Clemson. He's won a couple of championships there. Uh, but with him, he had an assistant coach that allegedly, well, that did call a player nigger. And the way the player told it, he made it, you know, according to his account, the assistant coach called him a nigger. And Coach Sweeney didn't do anything about it. Coach Sweeney disputed that and said, no, this is what happened. He's with the positions coach. They had an exchange, and the player I guess allegedly said, you know, I didn't block that, that nigger right. And the Coach repeated what he said, including the N word, was saying we don't say that. And the player went to Coach Sweeney, complained, and Coach Sweeney said that he told the coach that's not what you had, you should have said you don't repeat that word. The coach was apologetic. So they had different, you know, versions of the story. Also, Sweeney wore a shirt that said football matters, and people took that as him mocking the Black Lives Matter movement. And he had to dispute that as well. So he had to deal with that. And then you have the coach of Oklahoma State, uh, Mike Gundy, who, among other things he's done in the past, he was on a fishing trip, he took a picture, posted it, and he's wearing an OWN shirt, not OWN, O-A-N. For those of you that don't know, that stands for One America News, which is like this far right, many consider it a far right news network, even Further right than Fox News. So just think along those lines. So some of his players got upset by that because of what that news, that channel represents. They promote a lot of conspiracy theories. They've spoken against Black Lives Matter. And his players were said, yeah, I think it was his running back that said, look, I'm not playing until I get some type of explanation or apology. And he wound up getting the apology and it looked, <laughs> it looked forced and uncomfortable.
2: I had a great meeting with our team today. Our players expressed their feelings as individuals and as team members. They helped me see through their eyes how the t-shirt affected their hearts. Once I learned how that network felt about Black Lives Matter, I was disgusted and knew it was completely unacceptable to me. I want to apologize to all members of our team, former players and their families, for the pain and discomfort that has been caused over the last two days. Black lives matter to me. Our players matter to me. These meetings with our team have been eye opening and will result in positive changes for Oklahoma State football. I sincerely hope the Oklahoma State family near and far will accept my humble apology as we move forward. But
1: Frank, I have said all of that to say, to ask you this, you know, cause we've had Nicole Petit on here a couple of times. She is a big proponent of HBCUs. We've talked about it several times on here, given the climate, the racial climate right now, and so many college football coaches being white and we might as well just call it what it is. A lot of it is a good old boy network. Um, Is this the prime time for HBCUs to try to ramp up their recruiting and get some of these athletes that may feel uncomfortable? And I'm just throwing names out there. I'm not accusing any of these coaches of anything, but may be uncomfortable playing for Nick Saban or Les Miles or uh, any of these other coaches. And they may want to, you know, play for someone that looks like them, that's more relatable to them. Uh So do you think this is a prime time for HBCUs to try and make a dent in the talent pool versus the PWIs? And do you think we'll see maybe slight more hiring of black coaches in PWIs so they can have coaches that relate to these players more and not just always hiring the next new white guy? What were your thoughts on the two coaches and what they had going and what do you think about HBCU possibly grabbing some of that high talent?
0: So I want to give credit to Nicole Spears for bringing this up. You know, when she came on the show a couple of years ago, um, you know, I wasn't really familiar with the I was familiar with the idea, the concept. But I didn't see how it would kind of go. But I would say if, if it's ever going to happen, this is the time um, you got. also. You, we got to frame this in the context of everything that's going on where, you know, Um, without me giving too long an answer, I believe the scales have been removed from people's eyes. So now people are seeing things and people are looking and saying, whoa. And so to answer the second question first, yes, I think there will be more black people hired because what's going to happen is they're going to look at black candidates more closely and say, you know what, why didn't we hire him? And they don't even know why. They just kind of, because like you said, they're used to what they're, they're used to the good old boy network hiring people that look like them. So they're going to be a little bit of that. But as far as the HBCUs, the biggest issue there is going to be the, the battle of facilities, right? It's going to have to be a group, to me, it would have to be a group of guys who said, we're going to make a difference. We're going to, there's going to be guys who may be not, even, maybe they're the top recruits, maybe they're just like good recruits, maybe not even the top, but they go and they have to build up a program because the problem is some of the facilities, some of these other programs are so much, you know, crazy, like think about facilities at Clemson or Alabama, they're better than pro facilities. And then you compare that to an HBCU, like a Grambling or a Howard or, you know, um, you know, Tuskegee or different, you know, causes like that. They don't have those budgets, right, to um, to, to compete. At, but but they could, right, because yeah. the difference now is TV, like it used to be, hey, go to these other – don't go to HBCU because they won't see you. But now, you know, HBCUs can get together and get maybe their own network or get a better deal with a network so they can have their players showcase. I mean, right now it's not something they really push for, but it's possible – to do this now, like it just wasn't like 25 years ago, the way TV networks were and the deals where everything was kind of like, well, you could do that, but they may not. And that's not even to say that you haven't had black great black players. Like you think about Jerry Rice, Mississippi Valley. You think about Savannah State, um, Shannon Sharp. You think about Alcorn State, Steve McNair. So we've had outstanding NFL players from from HBCU. So let's not even act like they can't produce great great talent. So the idea that black players shouldn't go there. It's just a mindset. And I think right now people's minds are being reset and they're saying, why am I going to this school? What am I really getting? Is the experience, and and now that the, now that the, like I said, these things are being ripped away, the experience, what, what am I getting the experience of, you know, like the experience of the fact that people will see me play, that I'll be in a stadium with all white people and all white coaches. Like, is that what I want? Like, is that going to get me to the NFL more than if I play for a black coach and I'm playing on a black crowd at a black school? The thing is, the answer is not, not really. Not, it, the, the playing field has been leveled quite a bit because if the best players are at black school, that's where the scouts are going to go, okay? Yeah. Like, we're past the Bear Bryant thing, right? Like, black players dominate the NFL. They dominate the NBA, right? So it's not like wherever you go, they're going to come see you. So it's not a matter of being noticed. Now, if you have the talent you can play, people are going to come see so I think you know it's got to be something that starts with the parents who are saying, start steering their kids and saying, hey, instead of putting on that Auburn hat, that Alabama hat, that Mississippi State, you put on that you know Tuskegee, you know that Southern hat, that Grambling, that Howard, you know that Morgan hat, like you know just Coppin State, you know you just keep keep going naming um, you know different issues. like you put on those different hats, and um, I just mm-hmm. think that it's going to take that kind of shift. But now it could happen because generation of people are saying, you know, why are we going to these schools? Yeah. And so they, they can take a look and they can combine the history of what they've seen with the outcomes that they're getting, which is, are we really getting a better chance, a better life, throwing away the college experience in lieu of trying to go to the pros and get noticed when we can get the same thing and get a better experience, get the same end result. Most guys don't go to the pros anyway. So would it be better to spend four years of your life in your culture where you're familiar with, the people you're familiar with? And for those people who would say, is that kind of segregation? I would say, no, it's not. Because when you're a minority, it's important to be able to hold on to your, your culture and, your, and things like that because you're in a dominant culture. So it's not like it's the analogy of like right-handed, left-handed, right? Like it's okay to buy left-handed stuff because for the most part, you still have to adjust to a right-handed world. But it's okay to have some left-handed stuff when you can't enjoy it. So I think that the idea of people saying, "Oh, is that kind of segregated? Do black players go to black schools?" No, of course not. It's not because it, it doesn't make it doesn't make it. It's not any more segregated than black players playing for an all-white school, right? Like, um, but I don't want to go on too long. I promised that I would before we got on, but I just think that this is a time if it's going to happen. And I want to give a shout out to Nicole um, who who broached that argument, um, you know, a while back, and, and it's very valid, very real, and I hope to see it happen.
1: I just want to say, you know, so I bring this question up because you look at the protests around this country, a lot of them consisted of a lot of young black men, young black males out there protesting, wanting to see some change in this country. So you combine that with their parents and I can see, I see a scenario and maybe it's wishful thinking, but I do see a scenario where they're like, you know what? I I went out there and I marched for change. But I also can affect change this way too. And and take my talents to Alabama State to fam you, to Alcorn State, like you mentioned. And I'm glad you mentioned some of the things you mentioned in your answer because I think sometimes we're hard on these players that go to PWIs and you know, I've heard some people say, you know, they're selling out, but that's their one shot. And I think some of them do go visit these HBCUs, but when they see the facilities there, they can't compete with Alabama, with Auburn, with Clemson, LSU. They can't compete with the facilities they have at those schools. And they're thinking, look, you know, I really would love to go to FAMU, but, you know, their weight room doesn't look like the one at the University of Alabama. Like, I need to be in the best possible shape, condition I can be in in order to compete and try and make it to the next level, uh, but I think we always look at it from the college football perspective. We need to look at. uh I think the biggest change can come in college basketball because I think they can affect change much easier. You know, it would take a whole bunch of talented black players to go to a, a black school in order to make a dent in 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 the, uh, the the grand scheme of things in college football. But just think of the Fab Five had it went to FAMU or Tennessee state or something like that. You know what I mean? Like that's where they could have made. And they thought about doing it if you watch the documentary, but that's, I think college basketball is really where we can make the impact on on infusing these HBCUs with a lot of talent, make those schools cool to a lot of these young kids. So the ones that are playing football will say, Hey, you know, even though, you know, that, that school is known for basketball right now, I want to go there. And try and change the football program around. So it's just, a, um, it's just something I thought about, man. And I just really think if it's ever going to happen, now is the time because a lot of people are talking about they want to see change and it doesn't feel like a fad this time. It, it feels like the real thing. So we'll see what happens, man. Uh, that's, that's a little bit longer of a first segment than we usually do, folks, but uh, it was a good topic and we wanted to talk on it, but let's get into the show. To politically entertaining your cliff's notes to american politics and now your hosts frank and byron I want to thank everybody for joining us again politically entertaining guys we're on apple we're on google podcast google play we're on podbean stitcher we're all we're on all type of podcast platforms so find us subscribe listen share tell a friend we're here. We're here and we're trying to inform you. The first thing I want to tackle, man, because we got a lot to get into. We're going to talk to Brandon Davis in a little bit. Uh, he's been on the show before. Very, very smart brother. So we're excited to have him on and, and talk to him. But uh, Colin Kaepernick, so four years ago, I think, if I'm not mistaken, you and I at the same time kind of decided to stop watching football. You had the Colin Kaepernick thing going on. And then it was just other things. So they treated him like. He Like they did for a peaceful protest, but they were allowing domestic abusers to still play. Nobody was calling them out on anything. We pointed out the hypocrisy of the NFL charging our Department of Defense to to have the military there while at the same time kind of criticizing Colin Kaepernick for what he was doing. So that was four years ago. He hasn't played in the league since. You and I and several other people have stopped watching football. And Kaepernick was pretty much criticized routinely for disrespecting the flag, disrespecting our soldiers. We heard that over and over, no matter how many times he said it wasn't about the flag. It was about police brutality. Fast forward four years later, Frank, now everybody all of a sudden gets it. Okay. So Nate Boyer, who told, who told Colin Kaepernick, who was sitting down at first during the national anthem, Nate Boyer, who was a former NFL player, former Green Beret, said, no, it would be more respectful if you kneel. So this is a guy who actually served our country, who said it would be more respectful. And people said, no, 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 it's disrespectful. People that have never served any of that, was, they still said he was disrespecting our soldiers. Four years later now, all of a sudden, people get it. Randy Orton... Uh, All these different celebrities and prominent people said, hey, Colin Kaepernick was right. We should have listened to him. Roger Goodell came out with a full apology. Hadn't heard anything from the 32 owners, by the way, but Roger Goodell came out with it. My question to you is, it's four years later. Is this vindication for Colin Kaepernick or is this a little a too little too late?
0: Well, like they say, it's always the right time to do the right thing. So when Colin Kaepernick did this four years ago and basically we thought sacrificed career, we still felt like that was the right thing to do. And so this is a vindication. Now, I won't be vindicated maybe the way where he gets a big contract and he plays in the, in the NFL again, but it is vindication that his viewpoint was was misguided and, and, he, and he stood in the face of criticism and he stood up to it and he held his ground, held his course – and now everybody's like, you know what? We were blind to it. And and, and it's just like, you know, I don't want to compare Concaptain to a prophet necessarily, but I will say that if you read the Bible, you know, there's many times where prophets come and they give a message, they give a word, and people just can't see it. And then they'll and then later they see it. And so it's like, I don't think that God operates any different today. Um, so you can call Captain a prophet if you want, but the point is God will cry out through people what's wrong with the world through injustice. And so what's ha- what's been happening for f- not just the last four years, right, even since Colin Kaepernick kneeled, would be enough for everything. We're talking about 400 years, right? Like you think about the microcosm of the four years that Colin Kaepernick started kneeling, right, four years ago, to the 400 years, right, when none of us who are, nobody on the planet is still alive, of all things that have happened, all the atrocities against black people. And so I just think that it was he's vindicated. Because when you look at everything that's come out, and you even look at Hispanic people who have released a statement saying that we've been racist against black people. And that, to me, is a big thing because being in Miami, you know, I had some 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 negative, you know, um, run ins with, with with those who were Cuban. Um, and so that's something I had to work on it myself because, like, man, you know, I, you know, they, they it was it was it was no reason for them to treat me that like they did. But now what I'm saying is. Everything that's is coming out to light that that black people thought was like, you know how we we were talking to that man We just imagining this and everybody says it's not real, but not everybody's seeing it So Colin Kaepernick is totally vindicated Um, and 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 that doesn't mean that he's gonna get everything back in this in this world in this life But he is vindicated from a standpoint of he shows people that if you stand for what's right and for true You will be seen as righteous and that's the main thing to remember is like it's not always about what you end up getting. It's about setting an example. So now Colin Kaepernick, you know, I remember one time somebody was like, oh, they, there's a shirt I actually have. has Colin Kaepernick sitting down. This is before he even started kneeling. He's sitting on a bus next to Rosa Parks. Um, and somebody, I wore it to a church function, and a black guy who I respect was like, oh, you really think he's like that? I said, he will be. He will be remembered that way. And this was back, you know, four years ago. And now I'm not saying he's, at the level of Rosa Parks, right? He's, 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 you know, he's been well compensated by Nike. And so I'm not, he didn't go to jail. But what I'm saying is he is somebody who took a stand for the, against, against wrong. And, and now will be remembered as in, in the right. And that never will get old. And that's, and that's more important than anything you'd ever do on the field. And I think that's what he's vindicated by is that Colin Kaepernick will always be the face um, in the NFL who said, man, this is, not right what's going on in this country and I'm gonna use my platform even if it costs me my career to bring people's attention to it. And because he planted the seed, he's gotten even more people on board because people say, you know what? He was right. How you know, how much more are they convicted because they ridiculed somebody and say, you know what? He is right. And so he he made that stand and so I, I give him credit um, because even, even for black people, right. Me, me supporting him, I was uncomfortable. Like, man, it's like, man, this is tough on him, right. He's doing his kneeling every week and, and, but he inspires so many people. And so I, I, I congratulate him. And, um, you know, whether or not he gets signed is irrelevant. He is, he will be known as a, as a leader of men and he will always have his place in history for what he's done.
1: Um, and I guess, I, I, first off, I agree with everything you, you, you said. So I think in your answer, you pretty much alluded to it, but I want to just go ahead and ask you. So do you think he gets signed or not? Cause I'm hearing rumors that, you know, the commissioner is putting pressure on the teams to sign him. So do you see that happening?
0: Um, in this climate, I would say it's, it's possible because there's a lot of pressure on people. Um, now, I'm not going to put a percentage chance, but I'm going to say that it's, I feel like it's less than 10%. I do think there is a chance, right? Like, I'm not going to say there's no chance because this is unprecedented times and God is doing amazing things. So to say that he can't get signed, to would be, be wrong. But I would say that there these people have a lot of pride. These billionaires have a lot of pride. And so they don't want to be looked at like, man, not only did this guy show us up, now we got to pay him. And so yeah. I think it's a pride thing, but um you know if, if if it would show a lot if the for the owner to 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 sign him that would actually be a part of the reconciliation process as well to say you know what you know if the owners would come out now they could get so much more healing if they say you know what we didn't like what he was doing and we and we all well while we didn't have a conversation we all just didn't sign him because we we are complicit with the system we are complicit with the white privilege that we don't even have to talk. Like, the thing about the system was, everybody kept saying, Well, can they pr- prove they colluded against them? You don't have to prove it. You create a system that colludes implicitly. So you don't have to talk to somebody. You just already know. It's is like when you nod your head at a brother down the street, like, you already know what time it is. Like, they didn't have to say anything. And so the idea that they were ever going to prove that they colluded against Kaepernick is wrong. So I don't know if. At this point, they could say, well, he's older, you know. But, I mean, the thing is, it's not didn't say would he be a starter, could he be signed. I'd say when you look at all the quarterbacks in the league, he is not the 64th worst quarterback in the NFL. Like, he's not. Like, I don't know how where his skills are. He probably is not an elite-level starter just because of the time off. But to think that mm-hmm. he's not a backup, to think that somebody like the, the Ravens, you know, couldn't use him as a backup, or to think that, you know, you think of some other teams like – you know, Seattle had talked about signing, and it's like there are teams where he fits um, very, very nicely. And so I don't see why he wouldn't get signed, but based on the pride and everything, I'd give it less than 10% chance.
1: I think he'd be perfect for Baltimore, too. I think they run the similar offense that he ran. I also find it comical. People like Tommy Lauren and Laura Ingram, who were criticizing the recent protests, saying they were too violent. Why can't they do it peacefully? You had somebody doing it peacefully and you criticized him too. Just say you don't want black people to protest. Just say it. That's all you got to do. We're going to talk to Brandon Davis in about five minutes coming up. Real quick before we get to him, something that's popular and something that we'll get into with Brandon Davis as well is there's a lot of talk about defunding the police, disbanding the police, reforming the police. And before... I tossed the question to you just real quick to let the people know. Defunding, from what I understand, it's more or less talking about we have a lot of police departments that have an over bloated budget. Like, they they have too much money to buy these toys that they never use. Like, police departments have tanks and stuff now. Maybe for a major, major city like New York or Los Angeles, maybe that can be explained but there was no reason for a city like Ferguson to have tanks. Uh, So I think a lot of people talking about taking that money and putting it to social services and other services that can go to helping people to where it may help prevent problems that keep the police from having to show up in the first place. Disbanding, we kind of, we have an example of that that happened in uh, Camden, New Jersey. They disbanded the whole police department and they had to like reapply for their jobs. And the scrutiny on the hiring process was much more strict. And it was an effort to try to get a better police department. And then you've got reform, which is just like you're hearing that a lot as far as like additional training. Uh, we'll talk about, it as I mentioned before, with Brandon, maybe some non-lethal methods and things like that. So with that said, and then we got people that just want to abolish the police and have no type of law enforcement presence or authority whatsoever, everybody just on their own. I think that's a bit ludicrous, but I don't want to speak for you, Frank, which of those three or four choices, because you may be for abolishing, that you are with, that you uh, would like to see happen with the police departments across this nation?
0: I mean, I think more than anything, we need to understand the terminology that's being used, right? Like, um, when you're talking about police reform or defunding the police. I mean, obviously abolishing, I'm not for that because I just don't think that you, whatever you decide to put in place is going to, is you can't just just abolish the police force right just without anything, right? It has to be something put in its place because there could be too much lawlessness. We don't want anarchy, um, in, in place of the police. One thing I will say is just better, better trained police officers, right? Like we talk about knowing the communities you serve in as police officers, um, being cognizant, I th- you know, I, th- I think just, just understand that you're, it's protect and serve, right? That first and foremost, and that's for everyone. And then the idea that violence doesn't, violence begats violence. So it's like without without sometimes even meaning to, and I'm, I'm not a police apologist at all, but I think sometimes just the presence of police and their reputation, even in cases where they might be doing just fine, create an agitation, because of the now perceived narratives. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. That might be media driven to some degree. But what I will say is the police don't have to be called for certain things. So just understanding how to reform that, understanding how to find um, that middle ground. I think uh, AOC had a great response when people were criticizing the, the term defund the police. And they said, what does that look like? And she's like, a suburb, right? And so that was not the full answer. That was the beginning of her answer. And so that was really the a great understanding of what it looks like to have a community that has, has you know, order to it, but is not somewhere people are in fear or or, or in terror of, you know, the, a police presence or anything happening. So there's ways to do this and we just have to look at it um, as, as we have to look at it as, as we are all equal, right? I think that's the thing that's really coming into view is we don't, we, for, for even though we said we, you know, had the Constitution and we had all these rights and we said we had all these rights, we were not viewed as equal. So the thing about the policing is it, it kept showing up that way. It kept happening. So now that we are in this position of, of kind of changing it, you know, hopefully we will make smart choices and something that Brandon hopefully will have, you know, some more expertise on what could be done uh, to make things better.
1: Speaking of that brother, I mentioned him earlier. Um, Let's talk to Brandon Davis about that topic and a few others. Listen up. It's time for a politically entertaining exclusive interview. All right, joining us again on Politically Entertaining. He's been on here, I, I think this may be his second or third time on the show now. Uh, I once called him the smart mother effer. Uh Brandon Davis, he's the assistant professor at Kansas University. Appreciate you joining us today, man.
3: so oh, thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, man. I wanna you know, it's 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 a lot going on, man. So I kind of just want to jump into it with you with this with this First question. So in light of what happened with George Floyd and his death, uh, we saw a lot of corporations and companies coming out with, you know, we stand behind Black Lives Matter. We support Black Lives Matter. You, t- you turn on Amazon TV. I heard some people say when they turn on their Xbox, they got the message. we We stand behind Black Lives Matter. A lot of people are saying that, you know, we should start supporting black businesses more. We need to start getting more power so things like this can't happen to us as often as they're they're happening. But realistically, it's kind of inconvenient to shop all black, like 100 percent. Like, depending on where you live, you're going to have to go to that Target or that Walmart or that grocery store. Mm -hmm. So when black people are forced to, you know, spend their money with white companies that are, you know, black people that are interested in spending with black companies, what should they be looking for in the white companies? Uh, should they be looking at what type of executive, the, the diversity on the executive board, uh, what they do in the community, uh, their history of, uh, of customer service to, to black people? What are some key things we should be looking at the companies that we want to support that may not may not necessarily be black, but are doing some great things? Yeah,
3: so, I mean, it's important to have representation at the uh, at the upper echelons and the, the on the corporate boards and CEOs and things. But I think what's more important is who they hire, and who are the who are the people that they're hiring? Do they represent the community? Do the managers represent the community? Is it a bunch of black workers and white managers? Uh, things like that. Do the managers represent the community? You know, because uh, I mean, you I mean you don't want to uh, um, you know boycott a Target. And thirty percent of the employees are black. You know, so I think it's important to look at you know the representation in in as of the everyday workers and the everyday management of that particular business that you're that you're venturing into. You know, secondary, I think it's the treatment of the of the uh, uh, of customers. So if you're yeah. going, you shouldn't go into any store that, that doesn't treat you or doesn't value your dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's just a given. So I think it's, it's most importantly is the representation in-the-store employees, specifically management of the everyday employees, and also how do they treat you when you go in?
1: I got you. Uh, uh, I fumbled asking that question, so I'm going to ask this second question a lot more smoother. And it's a two-part question, too, man. So, one, do you believe that black people in this country should get reparations? And if you do, what would be three key items that you will want in a reparations for black people in this country.
3: Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I um, I I actually talked about this more recently with a, with a colleague and I I just don't think it's um, politically feasible that Congress or the federal government will pass some type of reparations bill just specifically for black Americans. I do think it's possible to pass a bill that would uh, possibly uh, target black communities and urban and rural white communities, right? Because I don't think – we're 12% of the population. There's not enough of us in Congress. I don't think there's enough white allies, even if you add in the Democrats, to pass a bill that's specifically for African Americans. white people just don't have a taste for that. And so if you you do have a bill that targets, you know, urban or however you want to code it, uh, black communities and urban poor and, and rural poor communities, white communities. I think it's important to not give people a check per se, but it's important to invest in those communities. So investing in education in those communities, which means like you know paying teachers more, pay, you know putting more money in schools, books, electronics, broadband, especially for uh, free internet, especially for uh, uh, nowadays the kids are, are working from home a lot. You know, so investing in that, investing in healthcare in those areas investing in uh, job creation and also entrepreneurship in those areas i think there's a lot of policies uh, 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 avenues also housing you know investing in housing in those areas and what i mean by that is like home ownership uh, the government subsidized housing for white people which created suburbs which created these uh, these all white neighborhoods these 78% white neighborhoods they subsidized those initial loans and if the government did that then they could do that now you know, to help these communities, poor communities uh, uh, gain some type of foothold in their community. Because having a house isn't just about having a house. It's about having equity and leverage. When you go to a bank, ask for a loan, When you want to get, put your kids through school, you know, it's about passing down something of value to your children, like wealth to your children. So I think that is also another avenue you can go through. But I'm, not, but I'm, not, I'm just not convinced. That we could have a bill that specifically did that for African Americans, I think we would have to ro- rope in rural, poor white Americans, such that the, the Congress and the, and the nation would have a summit for it.
1: Either that, or they have to sneak it in. Yeah,
3: they might have to. They might have to do it very clandestine. I mean, because and even even they try stuff like that. And so, okay, so Hood uh, has this thing where this program where they would take. Black, black uh,
2: uh, uh, renters or whatever that
3: are public housing or some type of subsidized section eight housing in like urban, like rural, like urban areas, and put them in houses in suburban areas. And a lot of the time, when those more white affluent areas realize what HUD is doing, they'll break ties mm. with section eight and with HUD to keep black people out of those neighborhoods. You okay. know what I mean? I mean, yeah, they're they're very, they're very, uh, you know, adamant about, you know, uh, protecting their, you know, protecting their white, you know, uh, majority or whatever in the neighborhood.
0: Mm. Wow. That's really some great information. Um, Hey, Brandon, so just thank you again for coming on. I I know you came on last time. The last time you came on, it was a little bit, um, you know, we talked before, just we got got on the call, um, and we talked about, you know, Ferguson, you're talking about over-policing. That was the first time I really had heard that term used, and while it was the first time I heard it, once you heard, I heard it explained, I was like, oh, that makes sense. So we're hearing these terms, defund the police. Can you, for our listeners out there who are maybe not familiar with what defunding the police looks like, what it means, can you just get into a little bit of that contrast that with the over-policing that we, we have seen and, and give the listeners, like I said, an idea of what that looks like?
3: Yeah, sure. I think, uh, I think defund the police is not the greatest slogan. You know, but it, it, it's really catchy and it's kind of caught on. But really, what, uh, what what the meaning of that means to 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 de-vest some from, from from like policing and invest in other services, right? So like you know, incorporating crisis response teams that are unlike that are not gun-toting uh, response teams to people with mental health issues, wellness checks, things like that. Investing in divesting from you know, some of this, uh, you know, buying militarized equipment and putting that money back into education, social services, uh, and, and things of that nature. Um, I mean, there's, theres you know, and, and that goes for all kinds of police departments. I, I personally believe that, you know, university campuses, there shouldn't be armed police officers. You know, there shouldn't be an armed police officer coming to a dorm room because there's a loud argument. You know what I mean? There shouldn't be, or people are smoking weed in the dorm. There shouldn't be a, a gun-toting officer to address things like that, you know, and a lot of times, you know, cities don't have the other resources. There was a great uh, interview with the, the, the Dallas police chief, and he was just saying essentially why we should defund the police, right? But he wasn't saying that. He was saying that the police are asked to do too much. He said if it's, if it's a wellness check, we have to go. If it's somebody that's, uh, uh, that's uh, uh, suicidal, we have to go. He said they even call them to, for stray dogs, right? And so – the problem is we put so much money into those police departments that we haven't funded the other support services. And so the police are having to respond to all these incidents that are not police matters. And that's where you get into the confusion. And that's where you get into the, the possibility of altercations and someone, possibly someone getting killed. Is because police aren't trained to deal with that, right? Police aren't firefighters, right? Nobody ever gets afraid when a fire truck pulls up or ambulance pulls up. Firefighters are trained to save people's lives. The police are not trained to save people's lives, and so I mean it's it's, it's, the defunding the police is about reinvesting right in those social services, in those community programs that are able to address some of those social ills. That way, you curb the uh, the 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 necessity of police coming into contact unnecessarily with people.
0: You said something very interesting. You said. When people see a firefighter, they don't get scared. When people see an ambulance, they don't get scared. I find that very interesting because you said the police are not trained to save lives, but they should be, right? In some ways, it feels like protect and serve is something that is missing, the protect part, um, or at least the protecting of all people, as, as we could get into. But my, my thing is, is there a is there a way that the police could be... I would say retrained because it almost feels like an extermination, right? Like, Hey, even in the case of a, a Rayshard Brooks, where obviously there was a confrontation, but he was running away. It's almost like, Hey, if you piss the police off, your life might be in danger. like, if you're not presenting an imminent threat, the police should not be looking to kill you. Right. And, and so it just feels like there needs to be a retraining of how the police are interacting. Is that possible? And what would that look like in departments, Um, With with police saying, hey, you know what, you should be almost as willing to give your life in service as to take someone's life. What would that look like and is that even possible?
3: Mm -hmm. I I think, okay, let's say you have a police department that has 100 officers. I think 15 to 20 of those officers should be converted into crisis management personnel. No lethal, no lethal weapons train, like, social workers or therapists in that sense, mostly, like, social worker training, and they should be the ones that go out for non emergencies right? I mean, poli- like, police officers are not here, are not designed to deal with people with mental disorders, people that are suicidal, uh, you know, teens, you know, you feel, you get on college campuses, you know, you got 18, 17-year-old kids, you know, trying to live adult lives, and, you know, it's just a lot of pressure, and it's a lot of you know, uh, 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 misunderstanding. And so you need to have that type of crisis management team to be able to address those issues. And you only call out like, the police for serious things, you know, for serious matters, right, that, that would, that would cause someone to have to be toting a firearm. You know, you don't, have, you don't need a firearm to de-escalate. You know, I was a social worker for a while I was at MSW, and I worked with therapeutic foster kids who are, uh, as far as social work goes, kids are the most volatile because their prefrontal cortex is not not developed. They are way more irrational than adults, and if they could pop off at any given time. But nobody that works in a, in a group home or in a, or in a medical setting with children is carrying a gun. You know, that's because it's not necessary. It's not needed to be able to quell a situation. At, at, at the most, if you had to restrain a child, there are ways and techniques they teach us to restrain that child without hurting them. And so there's absolutely no need for batons or any kind of any kind of things like that to, to subdue or and or to quell those types of situations. So I think police departments have to, you know, would be, would be ideal is for them to take a percent of their officers, you know, and train them into that crisis intervention uh, type of training, that social worker type of training, and have them be the ones to uh, come on calls that don't require people to be carrying firearms.
1: We're talking to Brent- Brandon Davis, uh, once again, we appreciate his time on the show. Uh, I love that answer that you just gave too. Uh, what that what that police chief said in in Texas was was spot on. We ask our police to do way too much, and of all the people that deal with law, judges, lawyers, police get the least amount of of law teachings when they're in training. They, a, a typical police yeah. academy it's like twelve weeks. You got lawyers going to school yeah. for eight years. So they're just not capable of, of, of handling certain things. But uh we appreciate your time. I want to get you out of here with this last question. So a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh the House Democrats, <laughs> they had that silly pose where they were kneeling uh with 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 the with the cloths on, the, the African garb. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh a lot of people were making fun of that. I was too, but I think what was lost was they actually put forth a pretty decent uh, uh, bill on reforming uh, law enforcement. And one, one of the items in this bill, which is getting bipartisan support so far is doing away with no knock search warrants, which is what uh, Louisville, Kentucky just got rid of in the Breonna Taylor Mm -hmm. law. So do you think, that got lost in their silly gesture, or, or did you think it was silly? Like, did you look at it as, oh, okay, they're trying to show respect or whatever? What did you think of the theatrics of that versus the bill that they actually proposed?
3: Yeah, I think I think people put too much emphasis on the fact that they gave them kente cloths to put on. I mean, because think about it. they like don't like Nancy Pelosi and Pete and uh, Chuck Schumer, they were with the Congressional Black Caucus, so. They didn't bring them Kente Cloth themselves. The Congressional Black Caucus gave them those to put on. Yeah. And I would rather have Nancy Pelosi with a Kente Cloth kneeling, writing serious bills, than a Karen in my neighborhood with one of those nah, uh, Rosa Parks shirts, or one of those we out Harriet Tubman shirts, like satirizing, you know, black history. We're okay mm-hmm. with that. But we're mad when, when, when a white person is actually doing some work. I don't care. I want Nancy Pelosi to put on a dashiki, go to the speaker's <laughs> box, and lay, and lay out a plan for black America. That I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is everyday Karens out there wearing that. I, I just don't like that. That nah, we out. I mean, they're, they're funny, right? They're funny. They're like they're like, they're like cool shirts. I'm not saying you should wear one, but I'm saying for white people, you know, it has a different connotation, right? And we can, You can't be okay with that and then turn around and, 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 and say something about this.
1: I hear you. I hear you. And I'm going to see if I can get Pelosi to wear that at the next uh, State of the Union. Or Dashiki yeah, up there. man, get, get her <laughs> put a, put a, like, right
3: in the situation box and be like, tell him, tell her. Him, right. Right, right, right. Is you know, man, man, I want to hear it.
1: it's, it's It's always a pleasure to have you on. We appreciate you. uh He's a very, very smart, smart individual. Um, Senator, you have, have you written anything lately, man? I know last time we had you on the show, you had uh written the article that I think Frank uh referenced because we'll we'll post it on our, our page or so.
3: Oh, yeah, I, I, I just had an um, a article published on, on criminal justice contact and police and political participation. Okay, uh, but I got I got another one coming out um pretty soon on uh that that was in social science quarterly. I got another one coming out in the policy studies journal on. Uh, how contact with the police uh, adversely affects our psychological well-being, and that's mm-hmm. the mecha- That's one of the mechanisms causing people not to participate, right? So that that contact contact with the police causes people to be more anxious, more nervous, have more incidents of depression and things like that, and it causes people from, to withdraw from political engagement.
1: So we will um, we will post we will post some of that uh, along with the episode when it comes out and just give the people the information. But again, thanks for coming on, man. Always a pleasure. And, uh, we yeah. just appreciate having you. Oh
3: man. Thank you. Anytime.
1: Once again, I thank them during the interview. I want to thank them again. Post interview. Appreciate you coming on brother. Uh, as I said, at the beginning of the show, one of the smartest people that I have interviewed on this show. And I think Frank, you will agree. He's up there with Jenny, Jenny Morber, who we once uh, interviewed as well. So Thank you for coming on, man. Um, I like his answer to uh, reparations because a lot of people always say we need reparations. We want reparations, but unless we sneak it in a bill and even he had a response for that, you know, that's probably something that's not going to happen. He spoke on, um, the over policing and things like that. So just appreciate him, appreciate him coming on, man. What did you uh, take from the interview with him?
0: Man, uh, we just need more people like him that have a full <laughs> understanding of terminology and, and and the repercussions of doing certain things, right? Like a lot of times people get caught up in terminology or they get caught up in just, hey, we need to do this, we need to do that. But you got to think it through. You got to think through the long-term effects. And I think that a lot of his answers were were very – he pondered, you know, what, what the effects would be of certain things. And I think we need that kind of um, – understanding and application um, and not just going on emotions or feelings I know right now people's feelings or emotions are, are hot and they're raw and them and not saying they shouldn't be we also should not move forward and make choices in, 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 in a state where people are you know are feeling a certain way so I think that you know he brought a lot of um, I feel like clarity and perspective so I really appreciate his answers and um, just his overall demeanor man just a really cool dude
1: uh, if you want to hear more of Brandon Davis, please check out some of our past episodes. Also, I've mentioned this before. I do another podcast, Three Brothers in No Sense. He did a four part series on the coronavirus where they touched on like how it's affecting the, uh, the economy, how it's affecting our, uh, our psychology. You know, a lot of people are stressed out from this virus. A lot of people have lost their jobs. They don't know how they're going to get their next paycheck besides, you know unemployment if they're getting that so it's affected people there health is a four part series so uh after you listen to politically entertaining go over to three brothers no sense you can find we we titled them that rona and uh like i said it's a four part special where he's interviewing you know different doctors and experts on the subject so very very informative i enjoyed it uh and it it was great to listen to so check that out as well before we get out of here, um, I haven't seen this talked about that much in the media. Maybe it has been and I just missed it. But over the last few weeks now, there have been three different well right now they're being called hangings. Now the friends and family of these victims are calling them possible lynchings. Uh the authorities are originally ruling them as suicides. So Robert Fuller of Palmdale, California. He was 24 years old. His body was found June 10th hanging from a tree. Young man, huge fan of anime, uh, Dragon Ball Z, like that. Just a, a fun-loving guy, uh, according to his friends and family. And he was a big guy, too. I, Frank, I saw the tree that he was found hanging from. And like his friend said, he was found at, like, I believe, 3.29 a.m., in the the morning or late at night, however you want to um, say it, but the limbs on that tree were just, they were too small to hold his body for a long period of time, so whenever he was found, the theory is that he couldn't have been there that long, Uh, and people were just saying he was just a happy guy. Um, The other victim, Malcolm Harsh, he was found about 50 miles away. In Victorville, California, he was 38 years old, and he was found May 31st, so he was found about a good 10 days before Robert Fuller. Um, and then we just had we just had a third victim, a Hispanic male, in Houston, Texas. Now we don't get into a lot of uh, conspiracy theories and anything like that, but I don't think this rivals anything close to conspiracy theory, given. The racial climate, and oh, by the way, Robert Fuller was an active participant in some of the Black Lives Matter recent protests. But given the racial climate in this country right now, I don't know, and I also don't know of too many people, like when people, from what I've heard, commit suicide, if they're going to hang themselves, they do it somewhere in their house or something like that. They usually want their family or somebody to find them. They don't go off to some forest or park or whatever like that. Just just from what I know of, but given the racial climate, man, you know, three minorities quote hanging themselves as the authorities are saying, it's just it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to accept, Frank. And I know almost every family is going to say this about you know their loved one that no, they wouldn't do this. Nobody wants to believe that their family member would commit suicide. But what I do like is that the protests moved the FBI to get involved because originally they were just going to rule it, I mean, a a suicide, no foul play, and just move on. We wasn't going to hear anything else about it. But people protesting in California, the FBI and the Department of Justice have now gotten involved. So for you, because I know I said I haven't heard a lot about these stories, have you heard much of anything about this reported anywhere on TV or in the media? And how confident are you that we will get to the truth on what happened to these three men?
0: Oh, man, yeah, there's, there's a lot going around with that because I have heard of it. I, I'm familiar with it. A friend of mine pinged me um, with that, and I was like, well, let me see the links. Because at first I was like, it just sounded Crazy, um, and, you know, I don't, and I know there's and I know there's a far lot far almost, and I know there's a lot of sites out there, and right now is a weird time to be getting news because people are on heightened alert, so you could say anything, and I know and I, and I've seen the effects of fake news being shared, so I didn't want to send it to my family, so I, I mean I did read it, and so they did die by hanging, so I mean, so I mean the the, the hard thing to understand is like you said that hanging yourself by a tree as a black man is like the symbolism to me, I mean, not not saying you couldn't kill yourself, right? Because people commit suicide every day, and I don't, make, and I'm not making lie of that at all, right? Like I, I really don't. I know mental illness is in, mental illness is in my my family, so I don't, I don't make light of that at all, right? That the, the idea that somebody could take their own life or want to take their own life. But what I will say is, I mean, black people have a pretty, okay, everybody's not Brandon Davis, right? But we have a mm-hmm. pretty good idea of our history and understand like the ignominious way of being lynched is like hanging yourself from a tree. So it's like, I'm going to hang myself from a tree. Like, I mean, there's so many other ways that are probably, I wouldn't say easier to commit suicide, but it's like, Hey, take too many pills. You can shoot yourself, you can cut your wrist. I mean, and, 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 and I'm not saying this to anybody, you know, and if you're thinking that any of these things I'm saying, taking them to heart, you need to get help. You need, you know, don't take, I'm just saying this from a standpoint of, it just seems odd that this will be the way they decided to go out if they want to take their own life. Um, and so I'm glad they're just being investigated. I don't really know. I don't, I don't have any idea to be honest with you. Like, cause it's so strange and it certainly could just be coincidence that this happened, but we've also got to use our brain and think, man, a lot of stuff has been going on and we have to be prepared for anything. Yeah. Like at this point now, you have to, your mind has to be open to the possibilities. And so um, I would just say, just in this, in my opinion, man, be careful. You know, all people, my brothers, sisters, be careful out there. Don't, if you don't got to go out at night, don't go out at night, right? Like, I don't care if you're a man or a woman or whatever, just, you know, like, be careful. Like, this is a strange time. We don't know what is happening, what's going on. So, you know, my prayer is just that the family is fine. If, if there is foul play, they get justice. And if there, if there was, if it was a, you know, if they find out it was a suicide that I, you know, I just pray for peace for them. Right. Because that's still a a, a hard way to, to lose a loved one. So, you know, like I said, I don't want to belabor the point, but I don't, I don't know. I truly don't know.
1: So we, yeah, we, it's not a whole lot of information that I could find on this. Uh, So we, we we really don't have a lot to add to it. We just wanted to uh, shine some light on it. uh, You know, just add to the coverage of it and, and I'm 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 so grateful for those protesters that have uh, pushed the Department of Justice to get involved. And hopefully we can just get to the truth. And uh we'll see because I know the temptation to sweep this under the rug is is great. Because if if there you know the worst case scenario there is some white person hanging randomly hanging black people, given everything that's going on right now. I'm not sure the country could take that right now. And I I definitely can see the temptation in sweeping under the rug. So I just hope we get to the truth of it and um, definitely uh, keeping those families in my prayers. Speaking of prayers, we've mentioned a couple of times on the show, we're we're, we're going through some unprecedented times. We're going through some tough times. I mentioned our people have lost their jobs. I've seen the unemployment numbers. Uh, it's, It's like really, really devastating right now. I've been blessed to still be working. Frank has been blessed. So with that said, I want you guys to know if you believe in the power of prayer, just know that I am literally at night praying for the people that have lost their jobs, that have lost loved ones to this virus. And and then the kicker is you couldn't even be with them because of the restrictions in our hospitals due to this virus. So you couldn't even spend those last moments with them. I didn't mention it on the last show. I lost my mother last month and it's been real tough. It wasn't to the virus, but you know, I, I lost her during this time and it was tough because I couldn't, you know, go see her in the hospital towards the end. I was able to see her once she got home, but I can only imagine what it's like to not spend those last moments with your loved one because that gave me some closure just to have the last moments that I did have with her. So I just wanted you guys to know. You are in my prayers. I realize there are some tough times going on, so uh hopefully things will turn around soon. Frank and I are going to do our best to just keep you informed with everything that's going on, and we just appreciate you tuning in. He also corrected me earlier. I called her Nicole Petit. I follow her on social media. She's changed her name to Nicole Petit. But, yes, it is Nicole Spears. If you listen to our old episode, that's the same person. He said Nicole Spears. I said Nicole Petit. Uh, So shout out to her. I hope you're listening uh, as well. Continue to do good things that you're doing in the community, ma'am. So other than that, I've rambled enough. I hope you guys have a happy Father's Day. Happy Juneteenth. We're recording on Tupac's birthday. (laughs) So um, just hope you guys enjoyed the show and keep tuning in. Remember, subscribe. We're on all the podcast platforms that you can think of. So just keep checking us out. I'm gonna let Frank take us out.
0: Man, I just I just wanna say, man, may the peace of God be over, you know, all those families that Byron said. We just we wanna lift you up, you know, in the name of Jesus. I mean that's the true. I just wanted to pray for you. I just I just know that there's a lot going on and you know, I just I just know that God is able and I'm I'm thanking him for allowing us to be here. I'm thanking all of you guys for listening and your support. I don't take that for granted. Um, Byron, you know, you're, you're in my heart always. Um, and, um, you know, just this, this, these are just unprecedented times and we have to remain together. Um, and, and, I, and like I said, this is not the time to fracture. This is the time to deal with all the things that we have to deal with. And all these things are happening because we need to deal with them. And so don't run away from the things we have to confront. We have, we have the power and to overcome and confront them. So I just want to encourage everybody, like Byron said, to continue to listen. Um, Just continue to write reviews, continue to share the podcast. Um, And like I said, we thank you for your support. We thank you for all these years that you've allowed allowed us to do the show and listen to it. And um, we just pray that you stay safe until you listen to another episode of Politically Entertaining.
1: Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.